I'm Megan. I'm Tyler. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Megan. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm uh, recovering from COVID. I, I hope I sound better. I still feel like my voice is like significantly deeper than normal, uh, but I am not like last podcast. I was desperately trying not to cough and sneeze, but I'm much better now. How are you? You're just bringing a little extra masculine voice to the episode today, although I yeah. feel like I'm actually doing the same. Super butch. <laughs> this is a butch office podcast. Uh, I am feeling like. We're on episode 20 of 22 of season two, which when I realized what episode number and how close, you know, like how few of those little rectangles are left on the list of episodes, it was kind of uh, both, I don't know, kind of amazing and maybe slightly emotional. Yeah, yeah. We're like moving along. I'm really surprised how we've kept up with this. (laughs) No. (laughs) I do think that's largely due to you. I think if... I was the one in the driver's seat of like making this happen. I feel like it would have fallen apart long ago. I feel like you deserve all the credit for like keeping us honest and keeping us going. Um, well, no one's more impressed than I am. But this is so- <laughs> um, I, I don't know about you, but I always have this feeling. So like we'll watch the episodes right before. And, you know, I, I like I'm always like, OK, now I'm going to rewatch the episode a second time. Uh, just to make sure that I like, you know, catch everything or whatever, you know, that I miss while I was taking notes. Um, but I often just want to keep going. Like I want to jump to the next episode. Yeah. And even after I finish the rewatch, then I'll be like, oh, I'll just watch a little bit of conflict resolution or whatever. Like, uh-huh. do you ever have that temptation to just keep binging? I do. Yeah, I definitely do. And I sometimes like I'll want to watch The Office, but it's a few days or a week or whatever before we actually have to record. And I know that it's going to throw me off and like mix up in my head if I yeah. go forward. So I'll just watch whatever episode we're supposed to watch and then fall asleep like five minutes into it. So, <laughs> and then I'll often have watched the, like the, just the very beginning of it, maybe several times before yeah. <laughs> actually watching, you know, the two times to like get notes and get ideas about it and all that. Do you fall asleep watching TV a lot? I do. If I if I watch TV at the end of the night, I am asleep very quickly. Oh, me too. I'm like out. And I just remember being so hard on my mother who would fall <laughs> asleep during every show and movie. And I'd be like, mom, like, wake up. Like, you're missing yeah. Law and Order or whatever the heck we were watching, you know. And yeah. like, now I totally get it. And I just like feel so bad for all of the times I was because like, yeah, I will. If I like if I lay down on the couch, like it's over. But if a cat, if one of our cats like, you know, cuddles near me or is on top of me, like that's mm-hmm. instant, uh, uh, you know, it's like chloroform or whatever puts you right to sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's why I can't read books at night. Yes. Too. I always think I'd like to be one of those people who reads a book. Me too. I can't. <laughs> I can't either. I feel like a fraud as an English professor that I'm not like every night being like, well, I'll read a little Ulysses right before bed or whatever English <laughs> professors do. I guess the good thing is with that, if you do read Ulysses, it's not like you can remember or keep track of it. You are fully awake. So <laughs> the experience is similar. That's true. Yeah. So 
Tyler, revisions and regrets. Do you have any from last week? I don't. I don't. I I know that I've like I'm letting the podcast down, but uh, you know, maybe it's our listeners who need to write in to us and be like, "This is what you should regret." <laughs> That's so true. Regret that is so true. Yeah. Uh, but offhand, the only thing I could think of was I don't know if we explored enough where and when Michael learned his uh, ice skating hockey abilities. Which yeah. Some interesting questions. The more I thought about it, where I was like, "Was he ever on a team?" What's the story? Like, who taught oh, him? That's a good question. Because uh, a team is such a could be such a fun communal experience for Michael, which you feel like he wants. Yeah. Badly. Yeah, he desperately needs you know friends. So uh, yeah, yeah, that was that's the only thing where I was kind of like, huh, I wonder what the story is there, and I wonder if we'll. Ever yeah. Know. Yeah. You. That's a good question. Well, I did have a similarly kind of an omission. There was a question I wanted to or a moment I wanted to talk about and then a question I wanted to ask you about it. And this is when the sandwich delivery arrives and Dwight counts out the exact amount of money he owes the guy. And Dwight says this, why tip someone for a job I'm capable of doing myself? I can deliver food. I can drive a taxi. I can and do cut my own hair. I did, however, tip my urologist because I am unable to pulverize my own kidney stones. So I wanted to ask you, Tyler, what do you think of Dwight's theory of tipping? (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you brought this up because we really did not talk about it. And it seems pretty amazing and crucial (laughs) as a theory of what tipping is supposed to be. Uh, I don't know. I just found it really funny. I remember thinking like, oh, that makes sense that not it's not just that Dwight is like cheap or whatever it's that he's got this like theory of of uh labor or something you know yes uh yeah an expertise or something yeah yeah I like that too yeah because he does have a coherent theory he's it's reasoned out and kind of think you know tipping is different in different cultures and so there's always sort of a theory of how do you think about work and how do you think about who should pay for it and how it should be covered and all of that and so Dwight just has a different culture of tipping and uh I thought it was not a bad idea I felt like you know he's not he's not entirely wrong although you also you have to participate in the culture of tipping that is in your society so I think like that's one of those places where you can't opt out you know system works on tipping and so you have to do it even if your belief system about tipping is different how do you do you have a belief system about tipping do you have thoughts uh just that you you fully tip yeah 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 (laughs) yeah i love how you're like you're not gonna get me canceled tyler (laughs) you're not gonna get my hot take on how on the working class um i was oh yeah go ahead i just i will say though that i think the idea of I don't think the system is is right though. Like I I go with the system. I don't think it's right. I think the fact that restaurants are not responsible to fully pay their employees and then it then depends on tipping. I I don't think that that's I don't think that that's right. I think that there's a problem with that. And if you're waiting tables, you should not be dependent on people coming in and whatever their theory of tipping is whether it's the Dwight Trout theory or whatever right. it would be, it shouldn't be 
dependent on that. Yeah, I completely agree. When I went to uh, like Sweden, I remember we went out to dinner <clears throat> and being told kind of like, you know, people here don't tip or something like that. Or um, I can't remember if that was exactly it, but basically like, you know, people here are not like, like the servers and stuff are not working for tips in the same way that you would in the United States, because they're guaranteed a wage and healthcare and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and I thought that was really interesting, also, because it sort of did change the experience and attitude in a way where it was like, they, they were much less trying to, like, make us like them, you know, uh, what I mean? yeah. and I always talk to my students about that, where I'm like, you know, when you're buying your because we talk about kind of affective labor. And I'm like, when you're buying your Starbucks, are you also paying for the people to be nice to you? Because mm -hmm. I don't think you should be. I don't think that that like that, you know, somebody working is not, you know, required to give you their soul, right? Like they're required to give you coffee. But my students are like, no, 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 I'm paying for the experience. I'm paying for all of these intangible things that somebody else is supposed to give me, which yeah. is like disturbing, I think, because it makes you entitled <laughs> to somebody's genuine authentic happiness or some stuff like that um but uh yeah i just wish here that like yeah everybody had like a more than living wage the one thing that this is maybe going to get me canceled but in <laughs> ithaca there's one restaurant that has because a lot of the restaurants have started to just be like hey you don't need to tip because we've included the amount that we either we've automatically charged you 18 or 20 percent or whatever uh -huh. so you don't need to add a tip which i'm like great yeah like yeah do that um or they will say you don't need to leave a tip because we've like bump, bumped up the prices or whatever to cover but there's one place where it says basically like we've included we've charged you like 20 percent, and that is to cover like the everybody's employees wages and and you should tip on top of that and if you would like to recognize your server or whatever and it feels so like emotionally fraught to me where i'm like but you already charged me 20 percent on top of my meal and everything yeah. anyway I, anyway it's very fraught yeah. for me because i'm so now i just don't go there because i'm like i don't want to tip 40 percent <laughs> but i also don't want to be seen as not having anyway totally that feels to me like they're just doubling down on not paying out of what they're making and just yeah. more than on the customers who are coming in. But I will say this is uh, I'm just we're going down this rabbit hole real quick. But I remember when I was a young like teenager going out to eat with friends. Have mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but going out to eat with friends and like, you know how like you discover things in your family that you thought were things that everybody does, but yes. just like random stuff your family does like yeah. like you know anyway so um we went out and like my parents had always especially my father who was really really cheap would delete like take the bill and like subtract the alcohol the taxes and like anything that he like all drinks whatever and then calculate the tip on top of that and I thought that was what you were supposed to do. And I remember somebody being yeah. like, what are you doing? Like, no, it's 20% of whatever the bill is. And yeah. I was like, oh, like my family's cheap. Like that's so um, that's really interesting because that is itself a specific theory of tipping. Yeah, yeah. It's on the food and you're not tipping on drinks. Right. And I but like 
they're still carrying the drinks to you was you know in major <laughs> yeah. but I'm, like i'm yeah, curious I mean, where he got where he got that idea I don't know, but uh, anyway, yeah. I was there was I can think of many shame moments, and that was one where I was like, I've done it wrong. <laughs> I I will say though to the thing about the kind of emotional experience, it does make a difference to me in my experience if a server seems miserable or seems yeah. to be into it. So I I do like them bringing some positive energy. <laughs> um, I'm with you, man. I mean, I I like I don't like to admit it, but of course I want you know yeah. but i also want them to like me as i want all people to like me oh so yep me too so like hi hi what how, <laughs> hey how can how can we be of service to you yes that's so true because you do bring a mutual uh kind of openness and positivity and willingness to engage in the serving serving and eating relationship <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you're like i'm willing to pay for it yeah. but i just want it to be positive true True. Oh, anyway, that's about that. Shall we get into the episode? Let's do it. Yeah. Um, should I read the summary this time? Yeah, go for it. All right. It's a short one. Uh, Dwight finds half a joint in the parking lot and launches a full investigation. That's what I have. Is there more? Do you have yeah. more? No. Yeah, okay. that's that's the It just seems so shockingly brief to me that I was like, that can't be. Oh, it. brief. I have to say, I think it's really. A very elegant summary. I like how they parallel half a joint and full investigation. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So I feel like whoever wrote that was probably felt pretty good about it. And I think that they should have. Yeah. Dwight finds half a joint, launches full investigation. And a nice use of active verbs here. Finds, launches. You know, it's yes. like. Yeah. Launches is a great word choice. Mm -hmm. There. Uh, I like that. I like that a lot. One thing I guess in the summary that I was thinking about is the structure of this show. And I wanted to see, is it the structure of sitcoms in general, or is it the office and Seinfeld where there's basically two plots? Yeah. That are all, it feels like that's such the standard here, like that there are two sets of things happening and then they cross paths or come together at some point, usually around the end. But in this case, we've got the Pam and Jim, flirtation storyline where Pam jinxes or like do, how do you say that? what's what would be the verb for that jinxes yeah, does yeah, jinx yeah. thing uh with Jim when they say the same thing so he's silent so there's their whole plot line that happens throughout and then at the end it comes together once Jim finally gets to speak and then he's filling her in on all this stuff that Dwight was doing so is that sitcoms in general that have that sort of double plot structure that's a great question i don't know uh enough about like the history of television or or plotting but i definitely think of it as something that's characteristic of sitcoms you've got your a plot and your b plot yeah the plot is like subordinate and it can like reflect the themes of the a plot or it can contradict them it can be totally um a non sequitur or like you know a random plot which to an extent i'm maybe i don't know we could draw some parallels probably between these two plots but they don't seem super connected uh -huh. but yeah i don't know i think of that as like a pretty standard sitcom uh thing where you tag back and forth between them 
Yeah, yeah. And I was I was trying to think a little bit to to what extent there are um, written narratives that really follow that same structure. Yeah. And definitely the things that move around among different characters, but I don't I like I don't know if I've noticed something where it's quite this this kind of strictness of the yeah. plot track that then comes together. I'm sure I'm just not thinking of things, but I was just noticing how consistent that form is and it really works. Yeah. This is a thing I always wish I like I wish I was better at like I always admire those like narrative theorists who are just like and here's an example and here's an example and here's because I'm like I bet there's some roots in like Shakespearean comedies or whatever mm -hmm. you know or you know and but like I don't know I'm not you yeah. know I can't remember offhand um, yeah but That's I do remember reading a fantasy or a sci-fi novel once many years ago and talking to our friend Josh because I because it had this structure where it was like there's a group of people and then they split up and then basically every other chapter tags back and forth between them uh -huh. to create this suspense so it's like one one group is on the ship and one group is on the planet and they can't talk to one another mm. and you know the suspense is generated out of that but also are shifting between them and uh and I was I remember being like oh that's such a classic great you know plot structure uh but I don't I don't know where it comes from yeah but in the this case it's not about suspense I guess yeah I guess the Shakespeare thing is interesting though because it does feel like it lends itself to plays mm -hmm. really well in some ways. And I was thinking about if you tried to mirror the structure and writing too with a cold open that's disconnected from the rest of it. Yeah. In some way, it maybe has some echoes and some connections, but it's just this separate scene. And then you go into the narrative and the plot that kind of continues from and has a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, I've been thinking actually, as we the last couple of episodes, I was like, is part of our goal? Because I've been I've been wondering if we have a method for interpreting mm -hmm. the office i'm like is there a coherent method that defines our podcast like and i'm not sure that there is but i do i keep thinking like how much do we want to try to cohere um things you know so like do we want to take a cold open that doesn't seem connected and be like okay like like what, what did we say last time like how are birthdays and pyramid schemes <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i do think that that's kind of a fun way of thinking and useful and then on the other hand sometimes it can feel like we are the ones cohering something and by doing that maybe missing something else i don't know but i definitely was thinking about it here like ooh, what is the relationship between the drug test and the jinx game <laughs> yeah 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 um hmm. in terms of that too and the method i was kind of thinking about you know what if we went back and we did something that was more like I don't know, a, a character study or tracing some particular kind of thing that happens across multiple episodes. Yeah. It was like, okay, we're going to dive into Dwight's love of authority. <laughs> and yeah. we go back and it's a set that's focused on that rather than focused episode by episode. Yeah, yeah. That's, the other thing yeah. that we do that's different, so a lot of uh, shows that are that talk about shows or podcasts that talk about shows that are kind of recap uh, recap podcasts go through in order mm. and sometimes we kind of go through in order but a lot of times we don't go through in order yeah that's true sort of meandering so 
what know. do you think is is that better or worse or I don't know listeners weigh in yeah I know it might be so I guess for people if you're really familiar with it yeah it might be fine if you want I think there are some things where you maybe haven't watched it and you want to follow along although the fall I guess the thread is just different and it's not driven by the plot sequence but it's driven by the ideas yeah and the jokes right like and the jokes yeah yeah I yeah because that's something that you think about too where I'm like what does it mean to do like a recap of a of a series of jokes where the plot is like kind of matters but is not you know yes be all in all like in this episode I feel like there is a plot and yet it is nearly irrelevant like not much yeah Yeah. changes um yeah but but it's the little bits the little you know details the way that are so funny uh and maybe that's where the the form of the thing that you're analyzing sometimes demands different approach in some ways but I will say when you mentioned, you know, kind of paying attention to rhymes across episodes, mm-hmm. like, you know, or themes like authority or whatever, I'm getting slowly better now at seeing um, not like patterns, but like actual callbacks. Mm-hmm. So when you said the thing about last episode with Dwight's urologist who he tips, in this episode, we have him talking to the urinalysis <laughs> woman. who who remembers his green pee and she's like did you get that did you get that you know checked out and he's like I'm all better and first the way he says I'm all better is hilarious but also I'm like oh my god like he had because I was like oh I wonder what he had and it's like oh right kidney stones and we know that in the previous episode yeah but like you it's it's a strange like it's so strange because you don't really need to know that for the joke to work right if you are Rewatching or paying attention as things go along, you'll see these accumulations of details about characters. Yeah. Yeah. You just get a little bonus kind of in noticing it. Well, a thing about this episode is it didn't have a separate opening. Yeah. And is this the first one that's been like that? I I don't remember, but it just it jumps right into Dwight's investigation. Yeah. Yeah. That we follow through the whole thing. Yeah, so should we talk about that opening? Let's talk about that. What do you think, Tyler? I mean, this is peak Dwight. And I think this episode, uh, well, because I've been thinking a lot about like, all right, what does it mean? Early on, I was like, Dwight's my favorite character. And then Dwight is like slowly becoming like a Nazi cop, um, (laughs) basically. And, but I think like what I meant by favorite character is like, you know, I find him so funny and and absurd. And so this episode really like brought that to bear, uh, I think, you know, and so one of my favorite images, it's pretty near the beginning, but it's basically him setting up the little cones around the joint and then him like trying to recreate the way in which it was thrown, (laughs) looking like a blood splatter in CSI or something. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so this kind of absurd degree to which he, takes authority serious or his own authority as as serious is so funny to Mm -hmm. me and uh so anyway I really kind of love that we launched in and he's like in uniform and he's interrogating people and it's like it's show this is what Dwight's been waiting for (laughs) yeah that's so true and I actually as I watched this I was thinking oh I feel like this is such a Tyler episode yeah 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 it is (laughs) And 
in defense of Dwight, you know, he may he may occasionally echo Mussolini and he may have people might suggest that he has a Nazi grandmother, but you know, Dwight loves authority, but I, I don't I don't think we have to feel like he is actually a Nazi. And no, so no, no, fair enough. Right, yeah. you, you might get worried about your association with Dwight. <laughs> and he's not that. He's not that. But he does, he definitely does love authority. Something I do think, not to jump ahead, but just like as a as it as like an over overarching like thread of this episode and to go to something because last episode I think you were kind of talking about like why does this show work like how it blends like kind of absurdity and sentimentality or you know real you know real emotion I was like okay so the show is very clearly at the beginning setting up Dwight as Michael calls him like a narc and like a um and it is satirizing this kind of cop mentality possibly even cops themselves Mm. And at the same time, when uh, Dwight is forced to compromise his his belief in authority or whatever and do this favor for Michael, I think we feel bad for him. Like, and I just think and, you know, I can understand a reading that would say that's a problem, you know, that that is like manipulating us or whatever. And so and I'm sure it is. But. But I think that that's actually kind of what's like fascinating about the show is like it can satirize something and at the same time make you sympathetic for these somewhat pathetic people. Um, yeah. Yeah. A, I don't know. There's something really interesting to me about him in having to give up his ideal. Yeah. It that is. We, that the show didn't believe in in the first place. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You're so, so right. And maybe what it does is it leads us to sympathize with people but without having to agree with their ideals because I don't I don't feel like it ultimately suggests that Dwight was right no (laughs) no. sort of like you do feel for him because he has such a strong I, I guess it's his moral compass maybe he has such a strong sense of for himself what is right and then there is something sad for him in having to give it up and it is sad because it's not just about his authority. It's not just about turning in malfeasance, people for malfeasance, to use one of Dwight's own words that he doesn't use in this episode, but at some point earlier. But it's that he gets he gets manipulated. Like yeah. He, by he, a he, boss. Yeah, and by a boss. So that is, even if even if Dwight's approach is not <laughs> the right one, what happens to him is also wrong. That's that's a nice point. Can um, we, you mentioned his uniform. So before we get past the opening, can we yeah. just talk about his uniform? And Jim says, you look cute today, Dwight. And Dwight says, thanks, girl. But Jim is right, isn't he? Dwight does look cute, look cute. In his uniform. <laughs> does. It's a good look. It's a good look for him. And I think <laughs> I think the key element is those short pants with <laughs> into the boots. <laughs> I think that's the thing where it, it's a different look if the pants are just loose and there's those sort of more contemporary military boots. Mm. When, the boots when the pants are tucked in, 
Like I love this on baseball players. The thing for me that really distinguishes a baseball player I can be a fan of versus one I cannot is if they do the short pants tucked into the socks. Oh. It looks so much cuter than when they have the long pants. So I think I just really like Dwight's pants. <laughs> do you first, do you watch baseball? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but occasionally, you know, occasionally I'm made to watch it you know like Dan will have it on yeah, 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 yeah. a family thing or something yeah, yeah, yeah. like that or I've gone you know okay I've gone to sure. some Cubs games sure where, you know of course the hot dogs are a big part of oh. the but it's the uniform yeah. I find that you know really thinking about uniforms and the the fashion on the field is a thing that also helps me get through I mean I to me the sexiest thing in the world is like a soccer player you know but mm -hmm. i do not watch soccer <laughs> i mean except maybe when the world cup comes around and everybody's like let's go to the bar and watch soccer and i'm like i'll watch soccer but um but anyway uh so i'm here for the 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 aesthetics of the sport and not yes. its content but uh uh do you have a thing for ankles is that what's going on here is it about the ankle you're shaking your head no so it's not what, no i'm shaking my head in uncertainty about what it is for me that loves those short pants um i mean maybe it can't be articulate maybe that's i don't know it, yeah it might be it might be beyond words <laughs> I, I don't know if it's the way that it yeah maybe it's the ankles maybe it's the way that it breaks up the leg and kind of adds layers to it i i don't know but i just just really love that look. Yeah. And I find that it does, it does carry over for Dwight, but maybe part of it is the color. Maybe part of it's that he looks, maybe he looks better when he's not in mustard yellow. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the mustard, it's too close to his skin color. And so the contrast of the dark blue is better for him. <laughs> I mean, I do kind of think uniforms can be very uh, attractive, you know? We mm -hmm. should theorize that sometime, maybe off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think that that's one reason why they work, like why and why they're historically, you know, used to create all kinds of power dynamics and yeah. solidarities and, and whatever, you know, for better and worse is like they, yeah, they, they, they do things to us. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. but it's interesting. Angela doesn't, I don't try to remember if Angela says anything about Dwight in uniform, not really, but she <laughs> likes being interrogated. She's like, yeah, come for me. She does. And, uh, she does love being interrogated. I thought that was very funny. Maybe part, there's such a, there's such an aesthetics of militaries too, like the, yeah. the kind of a military look. And you think about different, even different historical moments and, part of what's distinctive is the look of the uniform and there's something more military like he's not wearing a standard yeah like you know local police officer outfit exactly i mean the shirt is but the pants the pants are more kind of like an old-timey military look i don't know how i almost thought like state is. trooper in a way or something yeah like, i guess it is state of... trooper which is the difference of the sheriff that he's Associated right. with the sheriff's office rather than like the Scranton police. <laughs> I don't know. I don't but know. The, but the thing, I guess, so one other thing about this uniform, maybe, and the pants, and that maybe that makes it look cute. Yeah. 
This is in contrast to, we talked about the uniform of the delivery woman last week. Yes, yeah. And she's got a real functional delivery person's outfit. So like Michael thinks that she's a stripper, but she does not have the stripper version of a delivery outfit. And is it that Dwight's uniform has a little bit of the flavor of like sexying up the traditional <laughs> uniform because of the pants and boots? Well, doesn't somebody in the office say he looks like one of the village people? It's yes. who Jim says does. this? Jim, Jim. Does, yeah. yeah. I mean, there is something uh homophobic or gay baiting or whatever, you know, yeah. there's something going on with jim saying you're cute and then calling him like one of the village people yeah that's not uh you know great <laughs> um yeah. on the other hand uh maybe those things also do like signal what what is true which is yeah it's like it's as you're saying it's a it's a look it's he's serving it's a sexy. look uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. i'm just looking up pictures of the village people and they do seem to have one guy who is yeah sort of policey military that kind of thing he he does look like village people i mean <laughs> i think jim is yeah you're right i think there's homophobia in there and at the same time jim is not wrong about the look that it's sending if we're in the what year are we in do you remember what year this episode is like probably 2006 because it started 2005 so we're still in the era of you know casual homophobia or whatever everywhere in our lives um i mean maybe we're still in that area but the other thing that we're still in is um marijuana is illegal mm-hmm. pretty much everywhere i don't know we should, I, I meant to look up like whether it would have been legal anywhere or medical marijuana but you know predominantly it was still illegal and we still have the genre of like co- stoner comedy where just the fact that you're high or that you're trying to get high is a kind of uh, transgressive. It's just sort of astonishing to me how quickly in my lifetime, like pot has become like not only legal and acceptable um, sort of socially, but also like um, transformed into like a, uh, in the way that like yoga is like, uh, it's like, oh no, it's for wellness and it's for, it's a it's a palliative you know type of thing and and so it's been kind of like medic wellness sized or something yes totally Um, totally so it was just an interesting reminder of like you know obviously the show doesn't think that marijuana is like a big deal that's the joke but Dwight is representative of the dominant culture probably still at that point you know Um, or at least the the authorities approach to weed and yeah. uh, but who smokes half a joint and then leaves half a joint no 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 you take that with you like just what is happening comedy. like it's, like good, it's... Good <laughs> but in in michael's list too yeah. you know michael gets all like just say no to drugs in his list where he's got it with cocaine heroin all that it's like it's in that same yeah yeah family. you know it's not a separate a separate or distinctive thing which it is now. Um, I felt like there was somewhere else I wanted to go related to this. I can't remember. Well, I was thinking that the interrogate. So one of your methods, I feel like that I love <laughs> is and you and it came up last um, episode is you're always interested in like 
character testing like how plots mm -hmm. test and reveal characters mm -hmm. like um beliefs or attitudes or their you know um just their reactions and i kept thinking of you uh, and your theory in the context of the interrogation. I was like, the interrogations are a great example of like character testing. Like, yeah. because Dwight is basically consistent. So we get to see how each of these people respond. And so Creed obviously knows like the strain and the, <laughs> the yeah. whatever, the genealogy of the weed. Yes. And, but my favorite, of course, is Jim, where he's like trying to convince Dwight that he's high and is like gaslighting him into being like, no, 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 you said I was going to do the interrogate. Like, I. So... Yeah, marijuana is a memory loss drug. Yeah. Oh, you're right. That is a method for me. And that's making me think about how much our teachers influence the way that we think, because that's such from graduate school. That is such a John McClure totally. kind of method and I love 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 John McClure and uh so I'm just kind of seeing the echo in the inheritance of where some strategies come from there yeah you're right it's this kind of thing too where it puts it kind of emphasizes that testing because it puts a whole bunch of characters into the same position yes and finds out what happens to them or how they react to that so I got to say, I kind of hated Jim in that scene. <gasps> what? Yeah, so convince me that I should like him. You said you, so you love that. Was that one of your favorite? I thought that was one of the funniest jokes in the show. <laughs> like ever. Uh, ever. So, yeah. I thought okay. that was so funny. Um, okay. Well, just because, yeah, you know, it's turning the tables on. Um, Dwight's paranoia and surveillance it's playing into the logic of like okay well if you're going to take the idea that marijuana is dangerous seriously you know Jim is sort of mirroring that back uh but it also is like a genre trope I felt like or it was like and this show doesn't play I don't think too much with genre yet um mm -hmm. like in the way that other kind of more meta comedies would do like 30 Rock or Community or something like that or sitcoms but yeah, it does kind of flip it where it's like, what if the cop is the one who is actually the criminal or, you know, the detective is actually the person that committed the crime. Uh -huh. So I was kind of enjoying that. Yeah, yeah. So I can see your argument here. And I do like the idea of playing into Dwight's logic. And I guess one of the ways to undermine people is to agree to their terms, you know, rather than challenging their terms is to agree to their terms and just take them farther. So strategically, I like what Jim is doing here. I think you're selling me on that. And for some reason, just in terms of Jim himself here, I find him annoying. <laughs> any any moment or as particular, I found his impressions irritating. His impressions were completely irritating, which is maybe why it set me on a bad track with Jim. Yeah, yeah. Let me talk about his impressions. Yeah, let's do it. So he does this impression of Stanley, and it starts in the beginning, and he's talking about Miracle Whip, and it's not a good impression, is it? No, I don't think it is. Is that the joke that that she's enamored of him, and so, you know, she thinks what he does is hilarious? 
that's what I was kind of thinking. Although Oscar comes in and Oscar laughs along. Although I think the impression he did when Oscar was there was a little bit better because it was just, it, that one was about CCing emails rather than the tangy zip of Miracle Whip. So I don't know if yeah. part of it was that it was an easier one. I, I don't know, to kind of get a little bit of Stanley vibe on it. But it made me feel like this episode was flirting gone too far and at the point where it kind of gets disgusting to people who are outside because it felt like the impression seems bad and annoying and just not really funny and Pam talks about him doing impressions of all these people and she does an impression of Jim doing an impression of Phyllis where he just kind of like looks up with these I don't know kind of girlish innocent eyes or something and yeah i i felt like it was just the kind of thing where it's about flirtation and not about it actually being good and it was really (laughs) off-putting i have a feeling i have a feeling you don't like flirting i don't love flirt well i think i hate all public displays of affection I'm here for that. (laughs) But I do like the tension between Pam and Jim. And I like the, I like it when they're not together. Uh And so I do, there are elements. I think that it's, that for me, it hits a certain point. I feel like it hit a tipping point. Like I was enjoying it last week. And actually, I think my kind of structural sense of this season as a whole is that we had the kind of narrative climax last time with Michael's birthday, which was a pinnacle episode. And I think we're kind of on the, you know, heading toward some, I don't know, resolution or or something. It, It sort of hit a peak last time. And now, I don't know, things are on a, they're downward, they're downward track to kind of wrap up the season but i was enjoying it last week and then i think there i think the flirtation this week just got too far so it's like okay it it gets a little too much to witness i think i mean i definitely agree with you i find i mean when you said you don't you prefer jim and pam not together you mean like in the course of the show right yes yeah i agree i think the show is just better when they're not together and I, I mean, it'll be really fun when they do get together for us to figure out like why and whether this is also with to what extent it's specific of these characters and to what extent it's like any show, like once yeah. the will they won't they is resolved, why is it, um, you know, just less interesting or something like that. But in this case, it almost felt like your feelings were built or the, the episode was acknowledging it to some degree because the playing of the jinx and the extending of it is very like it's a child's game to a degree uh-huh. or a childish game it's one you do at you know school or something like that mm-hmm. um i don't know it just strikes me that way and then um you know he commits to it to such a degree and then when she's like you can tell me anything you know she's teasing him but his eyes go so sincere and earnest and it does feel like there's this wrecking she you know she claims when she gives him the coke that it's because she misses talking to him and i'm sure that that's true but there's something interesting about how not talking 
actually makes them more intimate rather than talking. And there's just less defense, less, you know, to keep them apart because she recognizes in that moment, like his eyes are saying, I want you, or there are things I want to say to you that I cannot say. And yeah. she already knows them. And so that's often been, I mean, that's what's fun about flirting is it's kind of like, are we being serious or not? But like yeah. at a certain threshold, I've been like, okay, what does she understand that he's into her or not? And then similar, does he know that he's into her? Like who knows what, when? Um, <laughs> so I did like the episode ending with Jim saying, what is he getting out of this relationship and not being aware that he's kind of talking about himself. But, um, but yeah, if I was in the office with the two of them, I'd be like, Jesus Christ, just yes. make out and get it over with, you know? Uh, yes. And please go do it in the stairway and not yeah. in front of me. I mean, I'm such a killjoy though, because my, about you. The, <laughs> the, the thing that I liked most with Jim and Pam was when his eyes get sad. I know, man. You know? Good. And... You're right. So I want to read the quote that you mentioned of Jim at the end. So Jim has the very final lines and he says, this is it's an interview, right? Um, he says, wow, what a terrible day not to be able to talk. Dwight was literally carrying around his own urine and dressed like one of the village people. Why does he do the things that he does for Michael? I just don't get it. What is he getting out of that relationship? And so, yeah, you're so, so right on. I think that it's like, that's completely speaking to him and Pam. And again, you know, we've talked about they're making fun of Dwight. And one of the times, was this in season one, when they're making fun of him and kind of treating him like he's a girl? Mm. You know what I'm talking about? I like there's it. the, um, gosh, when was it? Is it when they're watching and he's talking to Katie? It's when he's talking to Katie and he's looking at the purses. Oh, and yes. Sort of feminizing him and so it's sort of sexist and it's sort of homophobic and we talked about the way that they use that to bond with each other and so again he's talking about not being able to talk about Dwight and Dwight is so a thing that allows them to connect with each other yeah 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 that's right yeah it's so interesting how he is the uh force of bonding in to to a degree you know yes. um, yeah but uh there was something I wanted to ask you about oh well I guess I was going to ask what is Jim getting out of this relationship <laughs> what is what does Dwight get out of the relationship what does Jim get out of the relationship so but on a second rewatch the part that really lingered with me that I hadn't really gotten the first time was like in answer to the question of what Dwight gets out of the relationship with Michael, he tells this bizarre anecdote about his father making biscuits and yes. gravy for breakfast and then playing games and then finding out later that he was cheating uh, at all the games or something like that. Um, and so I was kind of like, okay, is the show bringing us back to this? Like your boss is your daddy and, you know, <laughs> And you respect the authority of daddy or, you know, or most don't, but Dwight does or whatever. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. That was as far as I could get because I was kind of like, why does he do this? But I have to say, I was hoping you as the office historian and archivist would remember. But I found myself thinking that this episode was slightly derivative of an episode 
earlier in the season or either the season or the last or the first season where but I couldn't remember what it was where the episode ends with like Dwight and Michael in a conference room and Michael's like I was actually testing you and yes. I'm going to make you assistant to the regional manager or something and I was like this feels real similar where he's you know crossed Dwight's boundaries humiliated him and then gives him a you know a a, a fake position as a trophy but I couldn't remember yes what that was do you remember which episode was that because I know the scene that you're talking about and I can't put it in context let me let that float around in my head and see if it yeah we might revise and regret it but yeah well we can come back to it we can at least bring an update well so you're getting us to what the parallel is and the link between these two plots is that the way that the relationship between Michael and Dwight connects to the relationship between Pam and Jim. Right. But I'm not sure I can really tease that out, you know, other than I guess just, I I don't know, because one's about authority and one's about pleasure. Although the funny thing, it's going to happen. Here we go. But like Jinx is about following the rules. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, cause, cause Pam even says there's like a, a rigid, they're unflinchingly rigid, unflinchingly rigid, you know? And so that is also what Dwight is doing, right? By following the rules to a rigid degree. And what's his face? Michael's whole thing is like, you know, first he's making fun of it and then he wants to get out of the rules because of the clove cigarette he smoked at an Alicia Keys concert. (laughs) Um, So maybe there's something about that. Yes. And Dwight at some point wants to has the conflict over wanting to bend the rules and Pam. Yes. Wow. They both deliver the other one, something in a cup, <gasps> liquid in a cup. Oh my God. Back with the Coke. He comes with the coffee cup of the sample. Um, two things. One, when Dwight brings, he goes, <laughs> He slams a bunch of water. He pees in the cup for Michael. But when Michael gives him this coffee cup to put it in, I <laughs> that Michael has labeled it Michael Scott sample. Yeah. <laughs> He's being covert, putting it in a coffee cup, but he is directly <laughs> labeling what the thing is. And yeah, so there's a parallel there because Pam is also bringing the Coke. And in each case, it's doing something to release the other person from some kind of entrapment that they're sort of in. On a side note, I love it, love it, love it that Pam calls it Coke and it's actually like a generic cola. This is something in my family, we always called everything Coke, which I hear is Southern and none of it's Southern. So I'm not sure where this comes from, but it would be like, if someone would come over to our house, we'd say, Oh, do you want a Coke? And they'd say, yeah. And they'd say, okay, what kind? Like, do you want Sprite, orange, orange Coke, or um Diet Coke, Coke, whatever? They were all in the Coke category. But fascinating. That's neither here nor there. I guess the other thing that we see is the way that ro- romantic relationships are in some ways maybe not that different than heterosexual two men relationships. Or like non-romantic, like in this case, it's a boss employee mm-hmm. relationship but the ways that I don't know I feel like some of the feelings and some of the dynamics and you know Dwight wants 
so badly to be loved by Michael. And Michael also wants so badly to be loved by his employees. He had that cake last week that said, we love you, boss. Yeah. Well, I think we got it to your original question. <laughs> are there parallels between these things? There completely are. There is something, yeah, I'm, I'm still like, I haven't gotten anywhere with it, but I just love your point about kind of the one, they're releasing the other person from an entrapment, but it's also an entrapment that they they established. So mm-hmm. it's, like, it's like, I'm, yeah, I've set up the rules, or not that I've set up the rules, but I'm holding you to the rules and then I will also break the rules for you I don't, yes. have, I don't have a point here yet but just as while we sit with that um two little notes that I enjoyed uh related to the um first the coffee cup thing when Michael was trying to convince Dwight to do this for him well that's like one of my favorite scenes in the episode it's like uh-huh. he's like oh I want you to do some filing and give me your urine and you know make these sales calls or whatever and, and it's like actually just give me the urine and, and, and then like the multiple times he tells the story about the girl with the lip ring and I just love the image of this and I'm all and I mean I have serious questions about how Michael got tickets to go to an Alicia Keys concert did he go by himself did he wear his suit um, but it's also so funny because he's like everybody was doing it like he's it's such an instance of his kind of follower um it's like a literal manifestation of the like just say no to drugs narrative (laughs) people are gonna pressure you to to (laughs) smoke something and but then my other favorite part is like Dwight's resisting and he's like well I can't remember the phrasing you might have it but he's something like you know look urine goes all over the place like who can say if it went in this cup or that <laughs> here <laughs> and just like the way that he's trying to construct a, a a situation in which Dwight can give himself permission to break the rules is yeah. so funny to me because it's like yeah. you know it's like yeah obviously I mean urine does can go everywhere but in this case it's a pretty intentional act um I just thought that was really funny well let's talk about Michael a little bit one one of my favorite lines actually is when Michael has been calling Dwight a narc he hasn't yet explained I don't think why he's so worried about this but he does his whole stoner movie thing and about like yeah. and that kind of thing. And then it cuts to a Ryan interview and Ryan says, I don't think Michael's ever done drugs. Yeah. I don't know if anyone has ever offered him any. <laughs> oh, I just thought that was so funny. But can I read? Do you think, Megan, do you think yes. doing alcohol is cool? <laughs> Yes, he does do it. What's that line he does? It's doing alcohol. Doing alcohol. And something. What is the thing he says with drugs? It's like he mixes the verbs. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Do you think smoking drugs is cool? Do you oh, think yeah. doing alcohol is cool? <laughs> and then Stanley has my favorite line, which I texted to you. Uh, no, I don't. I have a glass of red wine with dinner about once a week for the antioxidants. <laughs> I don't know why it's so funny to me but it, he's uh, so we never really see stanley be like 
sincere and, and yeah. hilarious or whatever. And it's like, he just sounds like, oh, it's so delightful. And it's for the antioxidants. He's, yeah, he is so serious there. And also, I think he's so full of shit. I'm sorry, no one I know. Antioxidants. <laughs> uh, one thing, so that because that's in the conference room scene, I just have to note one of my favorite kinds of jokes Michael's misspelling of heroin. <laughs> <laughs> so he spells it with an E at the end, like heroin as like the feminine of hero uh, rather than the drug, which does not have an E at the end. And that kind of, you know, that kind of thing, like his mispronunciations, his misuse of words and his misspelling here, I love. Can I read into the record though, how he describes what happened? Yeah, yeah. So... Two nights ago, I went to an Alicia Keys concert at the Montage Mountain Performing Arts Center. I scored these great aisle seats. Anyway, after the opening act, this beautiful girl sits down next to me and I never get to meet girls with lip rings and she had one. I don't know exactly how this happened, but one of her friends started passing around some stuff and they said it was clove cigarettes and I'm sure that it was clove cigarettes. Everybody in the aisle was doing it. (laughs) I have nothing else to add about it that you have not already covered but i just wanted to get our full full text into there have you ever smoked a clove cigarette <laughs> i haven't i don't think uh, i can't remember what's the difference with cloves uh well they smell like um <clears throat> let's see i don't know uh like like a i mean they smell like cloves but they're like really strong uh kind of herbal scent yeah Ooh, <laughs> i mean it's really distinct from the smell of pot um hmm. <laughs> I think uh but but they're also I like there was a period I don't know if it was like popular in the 2000s or whatever but it was around this time that for like a couple months I was smoking clove cigarettes and uh-huh. I think it was because uh somebody I knew had gotten like unfiltered clove cigarettes mm-hmm. and it, like just the thought of them makes me sick now because uh-huh. Like unfiltered cigarettes in general, I I find to be, you know, like gross and way too strong, but mm-hmm. unfiltered clove cigarettes. Oh my God. <laughs> and so anyway, just, it brought me back to like, I think I was trying to be cool, uh, just mm-hmm. like Michael, uh, and, um, aren't, anyway, aren't we so, all? Yeah. Actually, but I don't hear anybody talking about clove cigarettes anymore. You know, I yeah, don't, you're right. Maybe they're, maybe they're kind of out. It's I all the vaping for my students. So I have this memory of walking to west coast video with my friend anna when we were like 14 and i remember finding we found a cigarette on the ground and we picked (laughs) this is so disgusting i did this too i picked it up and pretended to smoke it as we were walking back from the video store and i remember a mom driving by in a van and giving me this horrible look (laughs) I get one of the things I want to talk about in this episode too is looks like Angela's looks and what yes. the effects of those are. Um, but I, I just, as, as we wrap up, Michael, I just have to say, I love it. So just some of these details of the things that he's into, like that he's an Alicia Keys fan and he's going to an Alicia Keys yeah. concert. Yeah. Yeah. Delight- and that he's into girls with lip rings, which I think is interesting. Yeah. I think he has a bit of a, he wants to be a little more alternative than he is, I think. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I think, yeah, he wants to be a little more alternative that the power of a girl with a lip ring. And Michael is not a smoker. No. <laughs> so even a clove cigarette seems like a big step out of uh, out of Michael's sort of standard life. Um, 
Oh, Spence, you mentioned looks really quickly. I just wanted to say, I wondered if this, I'm, we need an office historian to t confirm this, but early on in the episode, and I, I can't remember whether it's Oscar. Anyway, it's one of um, Dwight's interrogations, but he looks at the camera in the way that Jim is always looking at the camera. And I was like, is this the first time we get somebody doing the Jim look that isn't Jim? Or I'm sure we've had Pam probably do it, but anyway yeah. Dwight usually doesn't get the the look to the camera and I thought that was an interesting yes. moment is that when he's is that Kelly oh where, maybe where Kelly is talking fast and kind of telling a whole story that involves her and Ryan and you can tell that Dwight is just getting so frustrated with it and it's not getting him where he wants to go and I think you're right a look to the camera as he's like I don't know, kind of internally rolling his eyes and deciding what to do and when do I stop this? Yeah, yeah. Also, one other Michael note, uh, because after he talks to, or after Dwight talks to Kelly, he goes to Ryan and that's when Michael starts his like narc thing. And yeah. then later in the episode, I didn't catch this on the first watch, but late I did on the second one was like when Michael re repeats the narc bit, he says to Kevin, do you remember <laughs> the narc bit? Like... <laughs> <laughs> you remember my joke i'm trying to find the exact um oh yeah uh, uh michael says who's he calling ratting somebody out narc narc kevin that's so good michael remember the narc bit <laughs> <laughs> i just think it's so oh, i love that yeah remember he's the, found time the joke that works and he's gonna oh, just come yeah. back here. he's gonna keep living with that actually one more thing with michael i thought that this was an interesting example of a way of coping with guilt and trying to kind of manage the situation and take control of it. So I guess this is a little bit like the way you describe Jim as playing into Dwight's logic. So Michael starts doing the narc thing. He tests that out, finds that that strategy is not working to shut it down. And so then he decides that he is the most anti-drug person ever. <laughs> yeah. And he calls a conference room meeting. He says, I am ridiculously anti-drug, so anti-drug that I am above suspicion in any way that involves suspicion or testing of any kind. And I feel like in this, he reminded me of, you know, those really like the most intensely homophobic politicians who end up caught in yes. you know, some affair with a man or like soliciting sex with men in bathrooms or something yeah. like that and so it just felt like to me this really similar kind of approach or strategy of denial is to be like i hate this thing or i hate this That's group so of people right. more than anyone else does it's so true it's i mean i think that the, you're right it's a really good satire not only of the um of the kind of cop the overzealous cop because mm -hmm. but because Dwight does say like the cops dream of a case like this you yeah. know, this is his chance to make his name or whatever but then on the other hand this is also a satire of the like the authority figure who is actually implicated um but who can bend the rules for himself or yes. deflect attention away from himself by you know putting everybody else under surveillance because he doesn't say like oh I'm just going to cancel the drug testing he's like I'm not going to do it, but you all will like. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's a really you're you're onto something really interesting there um, about who the rules matter for and who has the right to suspend the rule for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And how you use the rules to serve both to control other people and to serve yourself. You know, to control the situation for yourself. Is there something interesting to you about the fact that the episode does not solve the mystery, or did you want an answer to the mystery? Oh, wow. The funny thing is, I never even thought about the mystery. Oh. Thinking about who it was. Oh, the whole time. I'm like, we're going to find out who it is in the final image. Oh, that's such an interesting thing about this. And maybe that's, you mentioned how it relates to genre. And usually in a crime show, it's all, you're right. It's all about the suspense of figuring out who it is that usually murdered someone or whatever right. it is so it's kind of yeah. like he's fine he does the chalk outline of it so he's treating it almost as if he has found a body and yeah yeah, yeah. usually that kind of show it's fully it's driven by that mystery and figuring out who did it and here it never gives us who did it but i didn't even think about it as being necessarily someone in the office like it just showed up there i wow it's so funny i never even questioned that see in and in my memory whether or not i'd seen this before i definitely because a lot of them i've like seen before but don't, don't remember anything about and so in my memory i was like oh yeah we are going to find out who it is mm -hmm. and um but that wasn't and so i was thinking the last image was going to be oh we'll see somebody in the parking lot you know whatever um so i kept thinking oh it's meredith because we didn't really see her interrogated <laughs> And I was like, or maybe it's Creed since he knew the most about pot, you know, but I was like, no, it makes sense if it's like somebody from the warehouse or it'd be really funny if it's the security guard, <laughs> you know, whatever. But we don't get any of that. I did look up, though, deleted scenes and there is a deleted scene that tells us who <gasps> smoked the joint. So I'm curious don't, if you, do you want to know or do I, you want to know? I don't think I want to know. <gasps> I, but let me. So I think the person in the episode who was the most suspicious was Ryan. Ah. Really weird interaction with the urine testing lady. Yeah. And that was when he asked if they were hiring. Yes. And I guess one way to read that is <laughs> like, you know, I hate, I hate this job and I want to get out. But it felt like he was nervous at that point. But I didn't think about it meaning that necessarily that the joint in the parking lot was his, but that he would not test clean. Right, right. Regardless of whether it was at the office or not. Have you ever had to have a drug test by any chance? I'm trying to remember if no. I've ever had to. Mm -mm. I remember being worried that I would have to. Uh -huh. <laughs> but I can't remember that I ever had one. Uh, yeah. Anyway. I don't feel like I've ever even heard the threat of that at like my school or anything. I think it's different if you teach at a high school. Right. At offices, at offices, I I don't know. Wow, I'm gonna have to keep thinking about whether I want that information or not. <laughs> Do you have a? Oh, you gave me your guess, so okay, I won't. I won't well, tell you. All I'll say is I think that Ryan is most suspicious, but I, man, I'm glad that they deleted that scene. Actually, I, I love it that they don't answer it. I agree, and I will say that the revelation is not. I would have preferred to not know it. Like I'm like, or not not that I prefer to not, but like I think it would have been not an interesting or funny payoff. Yeah. 
uh, yeah. because there are way funnier choices. I'm not actually sure yeah. why they chose what they yeah. chose. Huh, interesting. I feel like you should put on earmuffs so I can tell the listeners about how just <laughs> We were like, okay, Megan's gone. Now it's after hours. The, the <laughs> office after hours, just you and me. <laughs> it would be nice if there was something like the reverse of the. Oh, I guess I could just turn off my volume. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could. You but can no. say it. And then when I listen back, I'll, it'll be exposed though, and I'll find out. Can we go back to the Dwight's past? Because I feel like you've got a lot to say <laughs> about Dwight. You know what I mean? I think you're really. Yeah committed to Dwight analysis and I think to questions of people's past and sort of how their past leads to who they are now so this is Dwight's explanation you mentioned this once briefly but about his father and his that background so I want to read the quote and I just would love to get your your take on this so he says (laughs) my father's name was Dwight Schrute my grandfather's name was Dwight Schrute his father's name, Dwight Shrewd. <laughs> I loved my father very much. Every morning he'd wake up at dawn and make us biscuits with gravy. When I was little, my dad and I played a lot of games together. My dad cheated a lot, but I never busted him on it. I would have, except I didn't know about it. He didn't tell me till years later. I was shocked when I found out. I was very confused by this anecdote. <laughs> so I was like, wait, what games were they playing and then what what is the relevance of him being Amish but, <laughs> but it is funny that his grandfather's or yeah so it's his great grandfather that is Dwight Shrewd <laughs> yeah yeah um but anyway yeah it just it just raised more questions and then why would your father why would his father tell him years later yeah I was cheating at these games I don't is there a reference that I'm missing or is something earlier in the season I don't think so. It's, I wonder if there's something about that that's kind of, you know, like when you, like Dwight has been sincerely in those games all that time. And then to kind of later find out that you were being deceived. I wonder if there's something really unsettling about that for him. I guess just the other things. So Dwight's father has died, it sounds like, right? Because he says, that he loved his dad, not that he loves his dad, that his father's name was Dwight Schrute, not is Dwight Schrute. And just, I think we've got these two, like Dwight seems to sort of have two lines. So one of them is the one where he's into like kind of World War One, World War II Europe and Germany. And then there's the Amish. Right. You know, there's that like very kind of countries, very simple living kind of off the grid, that strand of Dwight. And then there's Angela. So a question I had was about the effects of the way that she looks at him. So this is after he has given his cup, he's returned to Michael, the filled coffee cup, and he's sitting at his desk and he clearly is like, is very, dejected he feels awful about it but then he's sitting in his desk and Angela is just staring him down and so this is right before he goes and he turns in his uniform at the sheriff's office and it was just making me wonder to what extent it's about 
being seen and being condemned and to what extent it's about his internal morality and sort of the way that he's betrayed himself mm. you know that's interesting i mean angela wants authority to be in um inflexible right or she yes she yes liked whatever her she said about her father being like a stern disciplinarian or something yes like that. yes so if he bends the rules then he is not the ideal yeah that she desires yeah um I don't know that's as far as I could get with it I thought it was interesting though that he is like I want him to have all the urine he needs <laughs> but like but like I yes there are moments when I'm sort of like why isn't Dwight more interested in overthrowing Michael and like taking mm -hmm. power for himself like especially when Michael reveals himself to not be as pure a, a, yeah. a, a power figure as Dwight is um yeah yeah <laughs> but I guess that's also partly what's funny about it is that like Dwight's fealty to authority is so intense that he would he would even sacrifice himself for an incompetent yeah authority that doesn't share his perfect. own ideals <laughs> Yeah, he's like, a, he's a perfect second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if in that he, to go back to his past, if he fears becoming his father when he does cheat the system. Yeah, yeah. He was one who seemed to be in line, but it turns out he was cheating a lot and was never busted. So he has to bust himself on it. Yeah. It right. Does, yeah, go ahead. It was just that I forgot he turns in his uniform at the end. Yeah. I, I wonder, this might be a sign that Angela is kind of perfect for him because she is also such an enforcer. And it reminds me of, did you see um, As Good As It Gets? Yes. So, you know, when his big compliment, wait, Jack Nicholson is his name, right? His yeah. big compliment to Helen Hunt is, you make me want to be a better man. Yeah. And that's kind of this, supposed to be this big romantic kind of thing is that you make me want to be a better man and I think Angela makes do I want to be a better man true, it's true. sort of an abusive way I think so <laughs> yeah. okay but can you explain one mystery that I had which is okay I can I'm sure Dwight Just, is asking everybody he's asking Kevin do you take you know what do you take besides Rogaine or whatever he says <laughs> Angela what are you on or whatever and she's like I don't take prescription drugs and he's like you're not on <laughs> anything presumably <laughs> meaning birth control and she's yeah. like no and he's like good so I was like wait does he want her to get pregnant or is he just saying good because they're in public at like I was like what yeah. is he what I does he want right there he does not want to get her pregnant and I think she gives I think that they just kind of hold enough of a look that her eyes are communicating nothing I am going to be saying nothing but you know the thing that I am on is not a thing that I can say oh so she is so, taking birth control I think so I think oh. that her eyes are telling him that she is so Angela is also bending the rules because right. you're right you're right judgmental of Kelly for example yes <laughs> yes yes yeah this is all about the hypocrisy of power right like <laughs> It is. <laughs> well, Tyler, 
What do you think? Shall we turn to the Dundies? Let's do it. Do you want to go first? You have to go first because I actually have not decided on my Dundee. I left this open to see where I would land and I need I need another moment of thought. Um, I'm going to go a, a weird way with it, um, but I'm just going to say that my um, Dundee of the Week for uh, uh, playful enthusiasm goes to Pam. Um, oh. And I do think that, like, I agree with you, the kind of Pam Jim plot here is a bit irritating um but i just liked uh the actress's performance as pam or the Mm -hmm. actress performance i should say as pam in this episode i just thought she was so like classic pam and like really reminded us that she how playful and funny and silly pam can be so i like when she gives the coke and then nudges it forward yeah or the way when she's so gleeful that she caught jim in a um in a jinx and the way that she addresses the camera. I feel like sometimes Jim gets a lot of the funnier bits like that. And I enjoyed that she, she got some. So here's looking at you, Pam. Okay, good, good. I I kind of thought you might've done the, you're an analysis lady. (laughs) (laughs) I thought about her. I thought about Hank or whatever, the security guard, but you know, I just figured I had to go with my, uh, yeah. With my, my thing that I made up 20 seconds ago. (laughs) <laughs> okay so you reminded me of an episode or not an episode of a scene that we didn't hit that is actually one of my favorites and that's at the end and when michael awards dwight kind of tries to compensate by making him the official security supervisor of the branch yeah i'll say i kind of toyed with the idea of giving dwight a dundee i felt like dwight is just a really strong performance i love the range of emotions that he goes through and when he <laughs> gets this position he the, he asks he says first of all hank how many orange traffic cones do you have and hank says two and Dwight says oh god and he closes his eyes <laughs> in the way that this limited number of traffic cones is going to be such a problem and i just thought that that was beautiful but I think the Dundee really goes to Hank. I learned today that his last name is Tate uh, based on his. Oh, that's what. Okay. I was confused because in the script it says Hank and then on his shirt it says Tate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Hank, Hank Tate, he has to swear Dwight in, gives him this plastic badge. Michael salutes Dwight and Hank does it in this way where Hank is just. <laughs> so annoyed by this ridiculous thing and <laughs> I loved his performance for some reason I always he'll he'll show up later I always just have a special place in my heart for Hank and I looked him up and I was actually really sad to see that he died in 2018 oh no I know he was he was 75 he wow. died of pancreatic cancer um wow. and it was interesting because when I came across this I really felt saddened by it and like I don't know Hank <laughs> have uh his name is Hugh Dane actually his his real name was Hugh Dane and he also had parts in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air Hanging with Mr. Cooper Boy Meets World Sister Sister oh. so shows that I loved when I was yeah. young and now I feel like I want to go back and see where he popped up it said he yeah. was a small, a small character there uh but I just I just thought his he was really 
really good in those painful interactions with Dwight. And I mean, poor guy. I think the real loser of this episode is is Hank. This whole yeah, investigation yeah. has cost no one more than it has cost Hank. <laughs> <laughs> about him having to continue dealing with Dwight. It's it's going to be quite a quite not a ideal. Not ideal. <laughs> not ideal. So anyway, I think that's I think that's it. Next well, week we got episode twenty one, conflict resolution. Right. That's right, and I'm um, looking forward to it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, thank you for listening. Bye.